Good afternoon, New Philly. Ite what? Ite one. I so wanted to do that, even though I'm not at this campus usually. But yeah, I hear I heard really good things about preaching here at Ite so I'm really excited. Church, are you excited today? All right. So yes, my name is David On. I'm an intern pastor, and I I primarily serve at the Hillside campus. And uh, it's been about two years now uh, since I've been here in Korea, serving as an intern pastor and. Uh, yeah, before I came out, actually, no, before I continue, I'm going to take a picture really fast. Is that okay? Uh, yeah, it's my first time preaching at Hillside, so. I mean, oh, snap, Hillside, Ito one. Oh. Okay, okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah, do the, do the, all right. All right, all right, all right. So, oh, snap, Shiny in that. Okay. All right. One, two, three. Oh, snap. It's a video. My bad. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh. Let me try that. All right. One more time. One more time. All right. One, two, three. All right. Take, take a couple. All right. All right. Thank you for that. Um, Yes, yeah, so as I was saying, I've been here in Korea for two years. I've been here at New Philly serving as an intern uh, for yeah, almost two years. And before I came out, I was part of this ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. Anyone know that ministry, CCC? Yeah, okay, a lot of people, nice. And uh, yeah, I was part of it all four years during college. And after uh, my time as a student, I, I went to Japan actually for a year uh, doing Tokyo campus ministry. And uh, that's actually what kind of brought me out here. I was here during the... Uh, I was there during the tsunami earthquake time and during the nuclear radiation threat. Uh, we just kind of got kicked out and had to come out to Korea for two weeks. And that's when I found out about New Philly. And that's when I really saw what God was doing in this church. And I'm telling you, God is doing something special in this house. Amen? And that's how I started coming out here. And, yeah, I want to talk about uh, briefly just the history of this, this ministry I was part of, Campus Crusade for Christ. In 1951, there was this man named Bill Bright, and he was a seminary student at this place called Fuller Theological Seminary, and he was studying real late one night, and all of a sudden, the Lord kind of just spoke to him, kind of just woke him up while he was studying and said, uh, put a calling on his life to reach the whole world. And he said, I'm going to start with the college students. So what he did was he just started this ministry, and from the recommendation from a friend, he decided to call it Campus Crusade for Christ. He actually challenged a classmate of his. It was a Korean uh, seminary student named Chung Gong Kim who actually started it in Korea at the same time. So those are the two uh, yeah, biggest branches in Korean America. And right now, CCC, it's in about in almost 200 countries, and it's reaching thousands or millions of people every day. They're, uh, they're small groups, they're discipleship, they're uh, yeah, website, and, and all this... Uh, the things that they're doing, even the sports ministry that they have, they're literally reaching millions of people. And because of the success that this man had, uh, quote-unquote, as a, doing ministry at least, um, he's, he's passed away now, but at least uh, when he was alive, uh, they interviewed him, and they were just asking him, you know, what was your secret? What, what were you doing? You know, and, and what's your life like? And one of the questions the interviewer asked was, who is Jesus to you? And immediately, Bill Bright, he just breaks down. He just puts his hands on the table and just breaks down and cries. 
And that's, that's what I want to ask you today, church. Who is Jesus to you? Tell your neighbor, ask your neighbor, who is Jesus to you? You know, Bill Bright, he had a lot of quote-unquote success. He saw millions come to know Christ. He saw really disciples making disciples of all nations. And he was doing all this work. But when it really came down to it, he wasn't doing it just to see more success. He wasn't doing it just to see Campus Crusade grow and, and get bigger and all these things. But he was doing it because of one reason, and that was because of the love that he had for Jesus. So this question, who is Jesus to you? It could even be rephrased as saying, why are you doing what you are doing? And church, I'm here to talk about a man who really knew what he was doing. A man who really knew why he was doing what he was doing. And you guessed it, I'm about to talk about Jesus in this place. You guys ready for this? Who's ready to talk about King Jesus in this place? All right, yeah, I see, my, I see some hands raised. That's what I'm talking about. Ite one, ite what? You know, because even if you're an unbeliever, a non-believer, a believer, a mature believer, a baby believer, a, a granny believer, whatever it is, you know, you, we can never hear enough about Jesus, amen? And, you know, Jesus, he, he walked around. He knew what he was doing. And... You know, just as he knew what to do, we need to know what we're doing and why we're doing and who Jesus is to our life, right? And uh, actually, before I talk more about Jesus, let me just share uh, a little bit about my own story where, you know, I grew up in a Korean-American church uh, back in uh, Philadelphia. It was a small church, and everybody knew each other. You know, everyone uh, knew me by my first name, and, you know, people were like, the Ajumas were like my aunts. They're like, you know, they just feed me all the time. And, you know, I'd always uh, say hi to them growing up. And I just grew up in this small uh, Korean-American church. And uh, I remember when I was in middle school, I went to this retreat. Uh, we went a little bit outside of Philadelphia. And, uh, yeah, there was this Korean-American 1.5 uh, pastor that was just speaking. And I didn't understand a lot of what he was saying, but, you know, because of the accent. But, you know, he was just preaching and he was just preaching and, and that's when it really made sense to me. Even though I grew up in Sunday school, even though I heard the story about Jesus, even though I heard this gospel story, I remember that, that retreat, it, it finally made sense. And, you know, he said, yeah, come up here if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And I remember praying the sinner's prayer, uh, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And, and I just made him my Lord and my Savior. So what happened was, you know, I'll go, go back home. And I'll be on fire for God. I just received the Lord as my, I just received Jesus Christ, right? And I'm reading the Bible and I'm just, you know, praying. And a couple weeks pass and I'm like, this is kind of getting boring, Lord. And then I, I kind of just do my own thing. And next thing I know, by the next year, it's the summertime again. And guess what? Summer youth retreat is coming up again. And at this point, I, I kind of forgot who Jesus was. Because, you know, I, I kind of was, wasn't reading the Bible. I kind of wasn't having a conversation with him daily. And, you know, I come to this retreat, and then, again, same thing, different, different pastor, same accent, and he's just <laughs> preaching about this gospel, Jesus Christ. And, and I still remember, man, it was this song. It was, crucified, lay behind a stone, you live to die, 
rejected and alone. This is the best part. Like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of who? Me. Above all. Man, I remember hearing that song and just crying, just breaking down. I was like, Jesus, that's who, that's who you are. Oh, man, you're the one who died for me. But you know what's funny? This cycle I, I kept living, uh, it, it kept going on. Uh, you know, it's different degrees uh, throughout my junior high and high school time. And, you know, it's easy to know who Jesus is with your mind, but it's easy to forget him with your heart, too. And it's easy for you to just, you know, walk and do what you have to do, whether it's work, whether it's ministry, whatever you're doing right now. It's easy to forget why you are doing what you are doing. And that's why, church, I want to ask you today. Who is Jesus to you? Why are you doing what you are doing? And again, to bring it back to Jesus, you know, King Jesus, he knew why he did what he was doing. Every single action he took, it wasn't by mistake. It wasn't by accident. He had a purpose for it. You know, Jesus, he was marked by authority. He was marked by supernatural signs and wonders and, and all these things. But what he wanted to show us more than anything else was this. He wanted to show us the love that he had for his heavenly father. Everything he did, it came from that place of just loving his heavenly father. And that's why even in the gospel of John, it's recorded 120 times. Jesus calling God father. And you see this even when he's a 12-year-old boy. You know, his parents, they, they kind of travel and they leave him at the temple. And they just kind of leave. And they travel for a day and they're with a group of people and they're like, hold up, hold up. Where's our little boy? Where's, where's our little savior of the world? Where, where did he go? <laughs> they lose him. And they freak out. And then they go travel one more day. And they go back and they find Jesus. And you know what he's doing? He's chilling at a temple. He's just chilling there. He's just listening to the reading of the law. And what he says is, you know, I was just at my father's house. Even from little age, you know, a young age, even as a little boy, he knew who his father was. And, you know, even when he's not just doing miracles, not just saying, you know, Father in heaven, I break this bread and, you know, multiply. Not even when he's doing that, but even when he's angry, he's saying, you know, he's just, he sees all the merchants in the temple, right? And he's, he's getting so angry because he's like, my father's house is not a den of robbers. And he just flips over tables. Anybody here ever flip a table like that before? Now, I so want to do that, but uh, I need to do it with the right reasons, you know? Zeal for the Lord, not for anything else. But, you know, even then, Jesus says, my father's house is a house of prayer, not a den of robbers, right? He knew what he was doing. He had a purpose for doing what he was doing. And it was because of the love that he had for his heavenly father. And that's what I'm going to talk about here today. The love that Jesus had for his father. And I know many of you heard this kind of message before. But again, we can't hear this enough. But I'm going to just push this in another angle where, and if you're taking notes, write this down. You know, the love that Jesus had for the Father, in order for that love to exist, freedom was necessary. In order for the love that Jesus had for the Father, freedom was necessary. You know, Jesus, he, 
as soon as he got baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, you know, it says that spirit of the dove, uh, spirit of God descended upon him like a dove and you know, he was baptized. And then he immediately went into the wilderness for 40 days. He fasted the whole time. And then, you know, Satan himself comes to them and tries to tempt them. And, you know, first he says, hey, why don't you turn these stones into bread? You know, you must be really hungry. You've been, you've been fasting for 40 days. And, you know, Jesus says, you know, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, and the second time, second temptation is Satan showing, you know, all the worlds in an instant, it says. And he says, hey, I will give all this to you. This will be your kingdom if you just worship me. And, you know, Jesus says, you know, you only worship the Lord your God. You serve him only. You know, Jesus, he wasn't bound by anything. Jesus was free. And that's why even before his death, even before the cross, he's before Pilate. And Pilate was this uh, Roman governor at the time. And he says, don't you know, don't you realize that I have power to either free you or to crucify you? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus was always free. Everything he did was as a free man. And we talk a lot about how Jesus died for us, and Jesus did this for us, and Jesus healed. But do you know that Jesus had freedom to do it or not do it? And just as Jesus was free, we also have that freedom today. Amen? Amen. Through Jesus Christ, we are free. You know, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Sin has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. Amen? Amen? And we have freedom to make certain choices in our lives today. And church, what are you doing with that freedom? Again, Jesus was the most free man that ever walked this earth. But he used that freedom to love freely. And that's the title of my sermon today, Love Freely. Tell your neighbor, love freely. Just as Jesus loved freely, we're called to love freely as well. So I'm going to talk about two ways we are called to love freely. And uh, for those of you who were at JPM last night, man, there are so many parts where... Uh, Pastor Marcus, by the way, he spoke an a amazing message last night, but... I felt like he took my notes or something because, yeah, there are a lot of parallels to our sermon. But that just shows the unity we have in this house. That just shows, yeah, the oneness and spirit that we have. So, yeah, church, this is a word for you. So get ready for this. The first way you love is this, to freely love God. In Luke ten twenty seven, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's saying love the Lord your God with all your heart. As in your emotions, your will, your deepest convictions. It's saying love the Lord your God with all your soul, with the immaterial part of your being. Love the Lord your God with all your strength, which is how a person uses his abilities, his powers. And it's saying love the Lord your God with all your mind. With the way you think, with your, your mental capacity, with your reason. Love the Lord your God. What Jesus is saying here is, you know, God is demanding us this total devotion to the Lord. You know, in another, uh, in Matthew, when it says here, it's threefold. It's just heart, soul, strength. But here in Luke, it's fourfold. And whether it's threefold or fourfold, regardless, God is demanding us 
to have just total devotion to the Lord. He's saying, love me freely. We are called to freely love God. And you see this because uh, you see this many times in the Bible. Even Mary at Bethany, right? She uh, breaks this alabaster jar, and it says it's more than a year's worth of wages. She breaks this jar all upon Jesus' feet. You know, some Pharisaic people are like, why are you doing that, man? That, you could have fed so many people with that. What, why are you breaking this, you know, alabaster jar? And she just extravagantly loves the Lord. She just freely loves the Lord. Jesus didn't say, hey, break this bottle for me. You know who I am? I'm King Jesus. I deserve maybe a couple alabaster jars. He doesn't say anything like this. Mary just does it. She just loves the Lord, her God, with all her heart, soul, strength, and mind. She's totally devoted to the Lord. She freely loves the Lord. You know, another person that you see uh, really totally devoting himself to the Lord is, is King David. And I love David. I love David. And not just because my name is David, but yeah, I, I just really love David. And I know there's so many uh, Davids, especially in Korean-American society, you know. I'm David Han. At Hillside, there's a David Han. You know, there's a David Lim or a David Kim. And, man, I, there's just so many Davids. But I just love this name because, you know why? Because it was a man that was after God's heart. You know, he was a man who was totally devoted to the Lord. And you saw this because, you know, he loved the Lord through his writing, through his worship. You know, you see his laments, you see his psalms where he's being chased down by either Saul, you know, who's threatening his life, or his son Absalom, who's trying to take over his throne. And he's, you know, his very life is threatened, but he still says, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul. David shows total devotion to the Lord because he loves the Lord whether he wants to or not. He still shows total devotion, even if he doesn't necessarily feel like it. And that's what it means to freely love as well. Freely loving the Lord. It means total devotion, whether you want to or not. And this is a little side note, but let me just touch upon this. Legalism. Mm, legalistic, okay? You know, many of us grew up in church and and especially being in a very fiery church here like New Philly, we, we don't want to do anything with, you know, traditionalism, with legalism, with religiosity. You know, we're like, no, we, we only want to worship the Lord when we want to. You know, it's, it's easy to kind of get into that temptation where, Lord, I don't want to pray unless I really want to pray. Because then if, if I pray when I don't want to pray, it just becomes legalistic. You know, and there's this tendency, there's this temptation for us to be like, I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to do this. I don't want to evangelize just because it's the right thing to do just because it's the legalistic thing to do. I don't want to be legalistic because we've seen so much of that growing up, right? But let me tell you, there's a difference between being legalistic and forming good habits. And there's a difference between being legalistic and being totally devoted to the Lord, whether you feel like it or not. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. I'm just going to read it out. It says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You see, what Paul writes here in Galatians is, 
When he's referring to this yoke of slavery, it's not just slavery to sin. It's not just slavery and bondage, but it's, he's talking about the law right now. He's saying, you know, don't go back to the law because that's, that was the Old Testament. When you go back to the law, you're going to be enslaved to the law. But, you know, on this side of the cross, you know, as in the past, when the law was written on, you know, tablets of stone, right now the law is written upon the hearts of flesh. It's written upon our hearts, right? And he's saying, you know, in the past, in the Old Testament, the law, it was a means for you to gain favor with the Lord. But he's saying, don't do that anymore because we already have favor with God. Because in 1 John 2, 2, it says, Jesus Christ, he became the propitiation for our sins. Anybody here know what propitiation means? Yes, that's what, oh, okay, some people do. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a little fancy schmancy word, but it's a double meaning to it. First is, you know, the penalty of our sins, which is death, it was paid for. Right? So that's the first meaning. Jesus becoming the propitiation, he, he paid the penalty of our sins. But the second meaning is this. See, all the sin that we had, all the sin of mankind that was stored against us, this wrath of God, it was, it was coming towards us. But what Jesus did was he turned that wrath and he turned it into favor. So that wrath that was just being built up and measured against us for years, for generations, what Jesus did was he turned it into favor towards us. So what Paul is saying here, he's saying, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's saying, don't live your life according to the Old Testament. You're not going to obey the law to gain favor with God. You already have favor with God through Jesus Christ. Amen? And if we're coming from that place of freedom, if we're coming from that place of already just being uh, just favorable with God, then we can just freely love the Lord. You don't have to be worried about, you know, being legalistic like, Oh, Lord, I don't want to do things out of tradition. I don't want to do things just because, you know, I, I just feel like this is the right thing to do. No, I want my heart to be, it's okay. Church, it's okay. You're not being legalistic. Because again, through Christ, we have God's favor. And through Christ, we are made free. And church, what are you doing with your freedom? How are you, and how are you using this freedom to freely love God today? The second way we're called to love uh, is this, is to freely love others. So if you're still on Galatians chapter 5, let's go to verse 13 where it says, You were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, true Christian freedom It's not a license to sin. It's not a license to do what you want. But true Christian freedom is this. It's freedom to serve God and one another in love. It's not a license for you to do what you want, but it's a a freedom to serve God and one another in love. I know you guys are going through the the core values, a a, a remix right now, right? And uh, I know a couple weeks ago, Pastor Marcus preached on, you know, freedom is for everyone. And just to quote this man of God, uh, he said, you know, freedom is the ability to make empowered choices that honors God, honors who you are, and honors other people. True freedom does not bring harm to you or to other people. You know, in other words, true freedom, it's living as we should, not as we please. Because when you receive freedom, it's not just for yourself, but it's to freely love others. Amen? 
And 1 Corinthians 10, 23, it says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. It says, again, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. And I love this word, build up, because in the Greek, it actually, it means this, it means oikodomeo. I hope I'm saying that right. But it's a compound word. And you get this word oiko, which means oikos, which means the house of God. You know, it's what Paul refers to the church, the house, the family of God, many times throughout the New Testament. And then you have domeo, which means to build, to erect, to restore. And it's literally saying all things are lawful, but not all things built up the church. What Paul is telling us is, you know, personal freedom and a desire for one's rights, they're not the only considerations. He's saying don't cause others to stumble. Use your freedom to build the house of God. It's not just about what you do, but what you freely do for that person. And, you know, I, I told you I was part of Campus Crusade growing up, and I got to visit the headquarters, headquarters and it was out in um, Orlando, Florida. It's really hot out there. And right across the street from this Campus Crusade headquarters, big, magnificent place, right across the street is uh, Wycliffe Bible Translation Centers, okay? I don't know how many of you heard of that, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really big place. And actually, uh, for those of, again, for those of you who were at JPM last night, we have Pastor Leo, right? Leo, yeah. Pastor Leo, he was talking about how all the Bibles or all the languages in the world, they're going to be translated, uh, one more time, all the, uh, in the New Testament, they're going to translate, uh, why can't I say this right now? Hold on, hold on. <laughs> all the languages in the world, every nation, every people group, they're going to have at least the New Testament translated in their own native language. And their goal is 2025, 2025. And that's actually from this, uh, this ministry called Wycliffe Bible Translation Center. And, and it's really cool. They, have, uh, they just show me all these different places. And, and they show me the story of John Wycliffe who, uh, who had his life threatened because he wanted uh, not just the Catholic Church to have the power to just read their own Bible, but he wanted you know, God's people, the common man, you know, any believer to have access to the Bible in their native tongue. And that's how it kind of got this uh, movement started. And you know, they had this one room where... Yeah, they just have, uh, it's, it's the prayer room. And they're saying how freaky things happen. Like, there's the prayer room, and there's, like, the office. And they're just saying, like, they'll just be working one day, and then, like, the printer explodes, and it starts smoking. And, you know, there's crazy spiritual warfare that goes on uh, in, that, in that room, because there's the prayer room, right? And they have about 4,000 or 6,000 languages, you know, people groups that don't have a Bible in their own language. And what they do is they have people praying for these different language groups. And most of these places, they have no contact. You know, they have no person that they know personally that could work with them, that could, you know, give them access. And one cool testimony was uh, this man just came and walked in one day, you know, in Orlando, Florida. And he was from some random obscure people group, like really small group in some place in the world. And uh, (laughs) he just comes and he's like, hey, can you guys translate a Bible for my people? And they're like, who is this dude, you know? And then they talk to him, and they're like, oh, my gosh, you're from this, this people group? Hold on, hold on, hold on. And they, and they go to the cabinet, they open up the file, and they're like, hey, look, this person, he's been praying for you for two years. This person's been praying for your people group for five years. This person's been praying for 14 years. And, you know, God just kind of brought these people. And 
you know, the technology that this, this uh, ministry has, they're able to, before, uh, if they wanted to make a Bible into the native language, it would take, you know, close to 10 years. But because of this uh, technology that they made themselves, it takes two to three years now. And what they do is they freely give this technology to these random, you know, people groups that are out in the, in the bush bush, you know, or wherever else. And they just kind of give it out. And what's crazy is they're, they're stumbling the secular world because they're saying, are you crazy? This is worth like millions of dollars worth of stuff, worth of technology. And, and it's all copyrighted and whatnot. But they just, they're saying you can make millions of dollars off of this technology. What are you doing? But they just freely give it to these people groups. They're just giving it because they know that they're called to freely love others. And they literally freely give it to these people groups. You know, and, and one way I, I've experienced just uh, receiving love freely was, again, just growing up in, uh, in a Korean-American church. Uh, I was born and raised in the States, but the generation right before me, they kind of were the 1.5. They're the ones who uh, either were born in Korea and moved really early, or they were just very, they're just more Koreanized, right? And Back in the 90s, like, Korean gangster movies were really popular. So all my, all my youngs, all my older uh, brothers, they, they were so gangster. <laughs> and, you know, they, whenever I saw them, they'd, they'd have to make me inside. Oh, and you're so, you know, and then, you know, I'd have to, like, you know, get them food or, like, you know, just, just I, I couldn't run away from them. And, and like, you know, they, they'd always, like, make sure that I'm giving them the respect, you know, because that's how they learned it in the Korean movies, you know. And... <laughs> You know, we kind of just, I just kind of grew up with that way, right? But man, I, and I gave them a lot of respect. I made sure to call them Pyong and, and, and do all that. But on the flip side, you know, they, they treated me really nice. And I remember other times where I, I kind of disobeyed and ran away and they kind of beat me up. But besides those times, you know, they, they treated me pretty nice. And this is what I love about the Korean culture where they're so giving, you know. And I don't know how many of you guys kind of experienced this, but... You know, my youngs, whenever I went out, whenever we went out to eat, whenever we watched a movie, whatever we did, they'd always pay for everything. And I was like, come on. You know, I was just like, and, you know, I kind of got used to it, but this kind of just happened, like, whenever we went out. And I remember my one young, Joe, uh, he was on fire for the Lord up to high school, and he was kind of gangster back then, too. But, uh, yeah, he was the one that beat me up a lot of times. But he'd always pay for my food, pay for my pizza. You know, it was, was kind of like a give and, give and take, right? And um, what would happen is uh, he, he actually literally became a gangster. Like, when he went to college, he only went for, like, a year, dropped out, and, and he was, like, like, he was on FBI's most wanted list. And, like, he was a big-time dealer and pusher and gangster and all this and uh but even then i remember he was kind of nice to me and and would and would just uh buy me i don't know where he got that money from wait hold on <laughs> conviction uh oh what's amazing is uh you know long story short lord just encountered him powerfully and right now he's studying at a very conservative seminary called uh westminster in philadelphia and and the lord's using his story lord's using his testimony in a mighty way and, and he's being used by god and actually you know, every time I go back to the States, I, I hang out with him, I see him, and same thing. And this time, he's, he's, a, he's a poor pastor. He's not a, you know, Scarface kind of, you know, drug dealer that has a lot of money. But he's still, he doesn't have a lot of money, but he's still trying to bless me. I'm like, I'm like, young, stop it, man. I know you don't got money. You know, I don't want to say it, but, you know, he just wants to bless me. He just wants to buy me all this food, and he just freely loves on me. And I'm like, 
Young, it's okay. Stop it. And then he just says, look, there's nothing to feel bad about. You don't have to feel biane. You don't have to feel bad. You don't have to, you know, if you're really grateful, just do the same to the younger generation. And, you know, what I learned from that, what I took from that was, you know, what makes love, love, is the freedom that comes with it. It's when you don't have to love someone. You don't have to give someone something. You don't have to show your love, but you do it just because you want to, just because you freely do it. And that's why here in New Philly, we believe so strongly in leadership, you know, because, you know, just as Christ said, you know, freely you have received, now freely give. You know, and there's this concept where, yeah, we get blessed, we get healed and delivered, but we're also called to heal and set others free. Amen? 1 John 3.16, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Everyone has freedom to decide to love someone or not. But as believers, we're called to freely love both God and others. And there are just two ways I want to talk about how you freely love God and love others. So again, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I love this chapter. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The first way you learn to freely love God and to freely love others is to look. All right? And, you know, you don't really get this in the, in the ESV, but uh, this word, uh, looking, it's another compound word in the Greek where it says, it, it, it's pronounced aphorao. And that, it's a compound word again where you get up, where you get away from. And there's, it, connotes, it's, it denotes the separation, this departure. It, it's talking about separation. And then you get horao, which means to look, to see, to behold. So he's saying, look away to Jesus, actually. He's saying, look away. And that's the first thing we got to do. We got to look away at what we're looking at. And church, what are you looking at right now? You know, are you looking at the circumstances around you? Are you looking at your own ability to love others freely or to love God freely? Because if you're only looking at yourself and your own capacity, you're not going to go that far. So first one is just look away. And second way, look to Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, we look at Jesus because when we look at Jesus, we get to see something great. We get to see the cross. And I know this is something that many of you have heard again and again before, but yeah, this, I just want to go into the cross. Is that okay, church? Can I talk about the cross today? You know, the message of the cross, it was the greatest act of love that was ever displayed in history. And why? It's because of the freedom that came with it. I want you to think about this. God, as a just God, as the king above all kings, he did not have to send Jesus to us. He did not have to pay the penalty of our sins. He could have just let us 
you know, receive the wrath of God. He could have just let us, you know, die in our own sins. He could have just punished us. And that would have been totally fine. He would have gotten the glory. And it would have been fine because he made everything. He deserves all the glory. He didn't have to pay for our sins by sending Jesus Christ. I think we forget that sometimes because we just thank, you know, God for his amazing grace. We thank you for his sacrifice. But we don't realize that it was his choice. It came from a place of freedom. And that's why, you know, at the Garden of Gethsemane, when you see Jesus pray, you see this tension. You see Jesus praying, and he's praying so hard that as he's sweating, it's just, you know, sweats of blood. It's that intense. And it's, it's this constant tension because, again, he didn't have to pay the penalty on the cross. And this is something I've just been chewing on because uh, I'm actually learning about uh, what the suffering actually meant. You know, in my theology class, I'm, I'm attending seminary right now. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I was just uh, reading my big book, Systematic Theology, by this man named Wayne Grudem. And uh, it was funny. I was, just, I was just kind of taking notes and reading on it. And then you got my roommates, Pastors Marcus and Joel, watching the football game. <laughs> And they're all, like, shouting and laughing and, like, yeah, come on, you know. And I'm just reading about the suffering of Christ, you know. And, but, man, you know what was crazy? As I was reading, I broke down and cried, like, a couple times, all right. And it was, like, the ugly crying. It was, like, <laughs> you know, like, like, you can't even, you know, snot and tears everywhere. But it was just so funny because, yeah, Pastor Marcus is, like, yelling for his football team right next door. And, I've never experienced that from a textbook before. Let me tell you that, all right? And, yeah, so I just want to talk about, yeah, just this, what Christ's suffering really meant. And there's a couple ways what, uh, and how he suffered. And let me just break it down to you. So, you know, one way he suffered was this. The obvious one, the physical pain, the physical death that he experienced for us, right? See, what had happened during the times of Roman where people were crucified, they you know, pierce your nails and your, uh, pierce nails into your hands and to your feet, right? And you just be hanging on that cross. It's a very, you know, morbid picture. But what would happen is, you know, people, they'll be crucified for days. And they wouldn't die from blood loss. They wouldn't die from pain because it was just enough pain. It was just enough torture for you to survive. The way people die was through just suffocation. Because what would happen is, as the nails and hand, uh, or pierced into the hands and to the feet, they'd have to literally put all their body weight on those areas and lift their own bodies up to breathe. And you had to do this for every single breath. And every time you breathe, you feel like it's not enough air, you know? And you got to breathe again, and you got to breathe again. And every time you do it, you know, your back is just rubbing up onto that cross, you know, that wooden cross. You're getting splinter after splinter. You're putting so much pressure, so much weight on those areas. You know, that was one way that Jesus didn't have to suffer, but he did. You know, another way was just the simple fact that Jesus had the pain of bearing sin. Think about it. Jesus, he was holy. He was holy, holy, holy. There was no one like him, nothing like him. And just by his nature, you know, he hated sin. It contradicted everything in his character. He hated sin. And even just the 
the psychological pain of bearing something that he hated so much. You, did you, were you ever with a, with a person you didn't like and they were in the same room as you? You know, you kind of just like, you know, it makes you feel uneasy or whatever. You know, it's, it's kind of like that, but a lot more serious, you know. We're just bringing it back, you know. Jesus had to bear that sin. Everything that contradicted who he was, he had to bear it by himself. All that he hated most deeply was poured out fully upon him. And again, talking about the wrath of God, which I mentioned, you know, that wrath, all the vengeance, all the anger God had been storing years after years, generations after generations. That was just being stored up in this cup. And Jesus was just, you know, shaken. He was just so tense. He was saying, am I going to have to bear that cup of wrath? But he still did, even though he didn't have to. And I think this was the hardest part where, you know, Jesus who knew God as father. Jesus who called him father ever since he was a young boy. Everything he did was out of the love of the father. He had to be separated from him. You know, first he was abandoned. He was separated from his disciples whom he had loved for, you know, three years. All he did was just love them, disciple them. He poured out to them, but they had to leave him. He even told, you know, Peter, you're going you're gonna to leave me before the rooster, you know, crows three times. And he knows they're going to leave him. But more than that, the Heavenly Father, he's going to be separated from him. But far worse than desertion by even the closest of human friends was the fact that Jesus was deprived of the closest to the Father. That had been the deepest joy of his heart for all his earthly life. He was finally cut off from the sweet fellowship with his heavenly father that had been the unfailing source of his inward strength and the element of greatest joy in a life filled with sorrow. He faced the weight of the guilt of millions of sins all by himself. Jesus had to face separation. He had to deal with the sin all by himself. Even though he had the choice not to, but he still decided to. He freely loved. He freely loved God and he freely loved us. Church, who is Jesus to you? Why are you doing what you are doing? And what's awesome, what's amazing about this is, you know, Christ, he shows us how we are called to freely love and how we're called to freely love God and, and others. You know, he models this, this to us. He shows us the example, but not only does he give us the example, he enables us. He helps us to do the impossible. Can we just bow our heads? Church, we are called to freely love God. And we are called to freely love others. And because God loves us so much, he's given us the freedom to do this. He doesn't force us. He doesn't obligate us to. But because he doesn't, 
That's what makes it love. How sweet must it be when the Lord receives an act of worship from you, when you just freely give it to him? When he doesn't ask it, when he doesn't demand it, but you just give it to him out of the freedom that he's given you. In that same way, we're called to freely love others as well, especially when it's hard, especially when we don't feel like it. But we can only do this by looking at Jesus. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus was able to endure the cross. And it says here that he despised the shame. You know what that means? It means he didn't think much of it. All the different ways of suffering that I just mentioned here, when he saw that, he didn't think much of it. Because he took one look at the cross and he took one look at the joy that was set before him. And church, you know what that joy is. That joy was being with the Father and with being with us, with the Father. And church, we all have different crosses that we're supposed to carry in this life. But if we want to endure it and if we want to conquer it, if we want to live this victorious life that the Lord has called us to live, we do it by looking at Jesus. Because he's the author and perfecter of our faith.